millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ang episode na ito ay mula sa Usapang Econ Podcast. If you like what you hear, Follow Usapang Econ on your podcast app for more discussions about how economics is all around us. Bagong administrasyon, bagong mga leader. Pero ang mga problemang kinakaharap ng Pilipinas, katulad ng mataas na presyo ng mga bilihin, lalo ng pagkain, ang di matapos-tapos na pandemic, at iba pa, hindi na bago at maaaring lumala pa. Dito pumapasok ang kahalagahan ng gobyerno at good governance. Ano nga ba ang tungkulin ng gobyerno? Bakit kailangan nating malaman kung paano gumagana ang gobyerno at paano natin pananagutin ang gobyerno para siguraduhin ginagampanan nila ang kanilang trabaho ng tama? Join us as we unpack what governance is, what it currently looks like, and what it should be in this episode and the next. Ang topic natin for today, food security. Ano nga ba ito? Bakit paborito itong ipangako ng mga politiko? At kaya ba natin itong makamit? Ako si Chasey Punong Bayan. At ako naman si Cherry Madriaga. At welcome sa Usapang Econ Podcast. Ang Usapang Econ Podcast ay proyekto ng mga batang ekonomista na naglalayong gawing mas fun, relatable, and understandable ang economics. This episode is sponsored by Open Society Foundations the world's largest private funder working to build vibrant and inclusive democracies and powered by Puma Podcast. JC, kumusta naman at naging usap-usapan yung post mong hindi na agricultural country ang Pilipinas? So ba't mo ba siya nasabi? At ano bang sitwasyon ng agricultural sector sa mga nakaraang dekada? Actually, Cherry, hindi ko nga sinasadya na magsimula ng online debate tungkol doon. Ano? Kasi parang sa mga ekonomista tulad natin ay parang alam na natin ng matagal na hindi talaga agricultural economy ang Pilipinas. Kasi kung titignan mo, for example, yung GDP or gross domestic product natin na sumusukat doon sa kabuang production sa ating ekonomiya, ay palit ng palit talaga ang kontribusyon ng agriculture. Sa bawat isang daang piso ng production sa ating bansa ay wala pang sampung piso yung galing sa agriculture. So, paano natin masasabi na agricultural yung Pilipinas kung ganun lang kaliit yung contribution niya sa production ng ating bansa? Okay, so that's GDP. So, paano naman in terms of other factors like labor? Kahit natingnan mo yung labor situation natin, Cherry, ay malitin yung contribution ng agriculture. Ano? Kasi base dun sa May 2022 Labor Force Survey, ay nasa bandang... Uh, One-fifth lang, ibig sabihin isa sa bawat limang merong trabaho ang galing sa agriculture. So, yung share na yun ay paliit din ng paliit sa mga nakalipas na dekada at uh, napakalaki ng uh, ibinabaan nito simula noong 1970s at 1980s kung saan mahigit kalahati sa labor force natin ay nasa agriculture. Nakakalungkot, no? At napaka-underdeveloped rin talaga ng agriculture sector. 
mababa rin ito sa prioridad noon pa man kahit ilang beses na sabihin ng mga politicians natin na mahalaga ang agrikultura. Sabi nga sa isang rapid assessment ng Food and Agricultural Organization o FAO, matagal ng problema ng sektor ang mahinang agricultural output, mababang income ng mga magsasaka at mangingisda, kumukonting may gustong magtrabaho sa sektor, kakulangan sa mga inputs at pagkukuhanan ng kapital at iba pang financial resources, lalo na sa maliliit na magsasaka at mangingisda, at iba pa. Marami pa ito, pero kung isa-isahin lahat, eh baka hindi na tayo matapos sa podcast. Ang Pilipinas din ang isa sa pinaka-food insecure na mga bansa among the emerging countries in Asia. Dahil mabigat ang reliance natin sa imported na pagkain. Sa loob ng nakaraang tatlong taon, ang food trade deficit natin ay nasa negative 2% ng GDP. Ibig sabihin, yung iniimport natin na pagkain ay mas malaki at mas marami kumpara doon sa ating ini-export. Para mas maintindihan pa ito, tinanong naman namin ang isang agricultural policy researcher, si Dr. Rowell Briones ng Philippine Institute for Development Studies o PIDS, tungkol sa pinakamahalagang issues ng food and agriculture sector. Definitely, yung na-identify even dun sa sona no, of high prices, no, especially coming from the world market. So we see yung major food products like wheat that goes into our flour, that goes to our bread and tandisal, corn, ganun din, that goes into feed, fertilizer that goes as an input for most agricultural products grown in Philippines. Lahat yan nag-experience ng historically high prices. So it was already going up because of the supply chain disruption prior to the pandemic. And then pinatungan pa nung Ukraine. So all of this uncertainty is gonna keep prices highly elevated at historic levels. But Philippines, as a developing economy, has been confronting long-standing issues in its agriculture. Namely, stagnant growth, weak exports, low productivity improvements over time, no, and failure to fully modernize. So notwithstanding all of these immediate price shocks, sana mabalikan din natin yung underlying required structural changes to improve the sector. Ano nga ba ang mga structural changes na ito? Naglalag behind yung structural change in terms of employment. So you have 20% of your workers nagsisiksikan to produce only 10% of your output. Naturally, mababa yung output na yun compared to the average. At kung mababa yung output, mababa din yung kikitain nila. Mababa din yung average daily basic pay in agriculture compared with services and industry, especially industry, which is on average the highest paid. Then uh, highest poverty, about uh, approximately double for farmers and fisher folk in 2018 compared with the national average. Now, I'm not saying that it's not been improving. There have been dramatic improvements actually since the period of rapid economic growth since 2010. But... All the other sectors have also been improving. So relatively speaking, tagilid pa rin. So, bakit sila napapag-iwanan? Mahina yung growth of productivity. Mabagal yung adoption of new technologies sa kanila. Mabagal yung pag-shift nila sa mas kikita sila. Let's say, shift from traditional crops like rice, corn, sugar cane, coconut towards higher growing, higher viral crops. Isa rin sa mga issue na laging bukang bibig ni Pangulong Marcos Jr. ay ang value chains o pagkakasunod-sunod ng mga proseso sa agricultural production mula sa mga bukirin o farms hanggang sa mga pamilihan. 
Matagal ng problema ito dahil watak-watak ang mga proseso at hindi magkakaugnay. Pero lalo pang pinalala ng pandemic dahil sa hirap ng pagkuha ng raw materials o restrictions sa transportasyon ng mga produkto. Panay ang mga posts sa social media na mga prutas o gulay na itinatapon na lang sa tabi-tabi dahil mabubulok na o bulok na. Ito ulit si Dr. Rowell. So, the scattershot nature na we have production units scattered all over the countryside, then also processing units na have a hard time collecting from those scattered units. Case in point will be dairy. So, you have very tiny processors because that's all you can justify na maghahanap pa ng mga dairy farmers, maghahanap pa siya, magkocollect. Kung sana may malaking cluster na malapit, then it's worthwhile to invest in a relatively larger and more modern milk processing plant. But this simply doesn't exist. So we prefer to import our milk, so 99%. It's kind of a chicken and egg na ayaw mag-invest yung farmer sa dairy kasi kanina niya ibebenta. Wala namang magbibigay sa kanya magandang presyo na modern na dairy facility. Ayaw din mag-invest yung dairy facility kasi saan na makukuha ng supply? In other crops, nagdumaan sa face na yan eh, at nasolve nila. I remember the story told to me by this sugar mill, no? Way back, nung bago pa lang yung Bukid Nun and Mindanao sa sugar cane, talagang they went into milling agreements, yung mga unang pioneer investors. Kinontact nila yung mga farmer, they entered into contracts. Bago sila nag-set up nung malaking investment in a central uh, milling plant, they secured. Pero this doesn't happen across the board for many products. So the previous Department of Agriculture Secretary, he saw this and he wanted to reorient the 1DA around his farmer clustering and consolidation program. Kasi nga, that was the main strategy towards uh, coordinated and upgraded value chains. So once you have that clustering and coordination, then you can introduce itong processing facilities, realize economies of scale, And we can see this in other countries. The clustering, say, coffee in Vietnam, this really worked to be able to upgrade technologies applied, standards being followed, and collection to serve the logistics downstream. Isa pang nagpapalala sa food production at supply ngayon ay ang Russia-Ukraine conflict na nabanggit nga ni Dr. Well. Magtataka ka, ang layo-layo nila sa atin, pero bakit may epekto ang kaguluhan doon sa Pilipinas? So, JC, bakit nga ba ganito? Actually, Cherry, maliit ang dependence natin sa Russia at Ukraine. Ang problema, ang Russia ay isa sa pinakamalalaking exporter ng langis. Ang Ukraine naman ay major exporter ng wheat o trigo. Dahil lumiliit ang supply ng mga ito sa global market at dahil sa sanctions na ipinataw ng iba't ibang bansa sa Russia, tumataas ang presyo ng pagkain at petrolyo sa global markets. Hindi lang yan, JC! Meron pa tayong mga agri-related diseases katulad ng African swine flu, avian influenza, tapos idagdag pa natin yung mga climate-related events katulad ng drought, yung nakaka sa productivity ng iba't ibang pananim ng Pilipinas at sa ating water supply. Tapos yung mga bagyo naman, maraming nasisirang sakahan at napipinsalang maliliit na bangka. Diba noong nakaraang Desyembre, tumama si Typhoon Odette? Higit kalahating milyong magsasaka at mangingisda ang naapektuhan noon. Umabot pang pinsalata sa 14 billion pesos. May non-climate related hazards ka rin, katulad ng lindol. As of July 29, yung pinsalang dulot ng magnitude 7 na lindol sa Abra 
umabot na yan sa almost 29 million pesos na damage sa Cordillera Administrative Region at Ilocos Region. Napinsala dito ang mga irrigation system, farm-to-market roads, at farm structures. Unfortunately, mangyayari at mangyayari pa rin ang mga external shocks na ito. Nasabi na kanina na malala ang epekto nito sa mga bansa at iba't ibang populasyon. Kaya mahalagang pumasok at makialam ang gobyerno. Sa dami ng global factors na nakakaapekto sa agrikultura natin ngayon, marami tuloy ang nagtatanong, makakamit pa ba ni Pangulong Marcos ang 20 pesos kada kilo ng bigas? Well, uh, later on, after that 20 peso remark during the campaign, President Marcos kind of walked it back, right? And uh, qualified it as aspirational. He's uh, leaving it still up in the air, no? So I'm not also taking it na tapos na. He's gonna push through with it. My interpretation is he's still sitting on the fence, no? And then asking for its review. Para ma-address ang mga problemang ito, ano na nga ba ang mga nagawa ng mga nakaraang gobyerno? Unang-una ang rice tarification law. JC, ano nga ba ito at ano-ano ang naging resulta simula nung napasa ang batas na to? Ang Republic Act 11.203 o ang Rice Tarification Law ay naipasa ng Kongreso noong Valentine's Day ng 2019 para i-repeal ang regulatory at import functions ng National Food Authority o NFA. Basically, tinatanggal nito ang import quota at quantitative restrictions na pinapatong sa bigas. Kasi dati merong limitasyon doon sa amount ng bigas na pwedeng i-import ng bansa natin. Pero itong rice tarification law, ibig sabihin nito ay kahit sino ang pwedeng mag-import ng bigas basta willing silang magbayad ng taripa or tariff. Nakasaad din sa Rice Tarification Act na kailangang mag-alot ang gobyerno ng Annual Rice Competitiveness Enhancement Fund or RCEF para sa mga programa at proyekto sa modernization ng sektor. Ikanga ni dating Finance Secretary Carlos Dominguez III, this law is an opportunity to revolutionize the agriculture sector and help our farmers become more competitive in the global economy. Isa rin sa layunin ng batas ang taasan ang kita ng rice farmers sa gitna ng pagpasok ng murang bigas galing sa ibang bansa. In paper no, mukha naman siyang maganda. Natanggal mo yung monopoly ng NFA sa pag-import ng bigas. Bumaba ang presyo ng bigas at naging mas affordable siya sa maraming tao. Nag-benefit dito ang mga importers at retailers. Pero sa bawat policy, di ba dapat walang naiiwan? Ika nga, no one gets left behind. Ang tanong ngayon, yung consumers ba na kinabang sa mababang presyo? At ano naman ang naging epekto nito sa mga magsasaka? On one hand, Sherry, nakita natin na after nung Rice Tarification Act ay bumaba talaga yung rice inflation. Ibig sabihin, maliit na lang yung contribution ng rice o bigas doon sa inflation o kabuang pagtaas ng presyo ng mga bilihin sa ating ekonomiya. Pero ang downside noon ay lumiit yung kita ng mga magsasaka dahil masyado namang bumaba ang presyo ng bigas. Masakit ito para sa ating rice producers at bahagyang tumaas ang poverty sa ibang lugar. In fact, Noong 2020 ay naglabas ng mensahe ang Federation of Free Farmers, isang aliansa ng malalaking farmer organizations, para i-amend ang batas na ito at sana ibalik daw ang quantitative restrictions. Para naman kay Dr. Rowell, kailangan namang pag-aralan ng maigi ang batas at ang mga naging epekto nito. One major feature of the tarification is actually yung law that earmarks 10 billion plus, potentially plus, 
to the rice fund for the improved competitiveness of the rice sector. That requires a serious study, midterm, no? Kung ano na naging impact ng programs. Kasi in the law, meron ng specific na naka-earmark. 50% for this, another percentage for that. We have to look at the programs that were funded out of those 50% and X% percent here and there. And after that, then we can make a judgment if there are certain features of the law that need to be tweaked or transformed or repealed or changed. At the same time, I could see na this new government is also aware of the benefits of tarification and the potential, you know, uh, consequences, adverse consequences of going back to the previous, the pre-tarification. Ano yan? Bubuhayin mo yung NFA? With all of the uh, perception of NFA as a kind of a corrupt <laughs> part of our bureaucracy, I don't think people really have an appetite of reviving that agency. Bukod sa rice tarification law, ano pa nga mga reforma ang pinasan ng gobyerno para ma-address ang food security? The irony is, a lot of the policies they're implementing in the name of uh, developing the agricultural sector turns out on the balance to be detrimental for its development. So for instance, ensuring high trade barriers for the traditional crops and products like rice, corn, sugar, meat products, and fish. So ibig sabihin... May mga polisiya na maaring mag-backfire o magkaroon ng unintended consequences kahit gaano kaganda ang intensyon. Plus several other laws like the executive order that created the SRA also gave the SRA powers to control the level of imports into sugar. Ang SRA o Sugar Regulatory Administration ay ang ahensyang nagpropromote ng growth at development ng sugar industry ng Pilipinas. Now, It turns out that that's detrimental uh, for consumers as well as the transformation of the country as a whole. So consider this sugar. Now we're paying like 100 plus pesos na, no? According to the website comparing uh, retail prices of sugar worldwide, second highest na yata tayo in the world uh, because uh, of our kind of, uh, I would say, irrational policy towards importation. Now, the consequence of this is not just higher prices for consumers. It also means higher cost of all food manufacturers that happen to use sugar as an input. And it erodes their competitiveness naman sa world market. So we're trying to sell banana chips as a export-oriented product. This is driving their cost through the roof because uh, sugar is a big part of their production cost. So yung mga ganong mga issue na you're helping certain parts of the agricultural sector but introducing unnecessary distortions on other parts, not to mention consumers. Another case in point, no? The biggest exporter of feed in Southeast Asia is Vietnam. By no coincidence, they have the lowest tariffs on corn in all of Southeast Asia, including corn from outside of Southeast Asia. Ang problema kasi, we lower corn tariffs within Southeast Asia through the ASEAN Trading Goods Agreement. Pero we impose Thailand, Philippines, especially Philippines, high tariffs on imports of corn from United States, Canada, no, outside of Southeast Asia. So mahal din yung raw material for our feed. Pero Vietnam chose, so this is a socialist country, ah? socialist country chose to liberalize its importation of mais. Lo and behold, by no coincidence, 
They are now a billion-dollar exporter of animal feeds to the rest of Southeast Asia and beyond, to China and other countries. So we've been shooting ourselves in the foot <laughs> by all of these well-intentioned policies in our agricultural sector. And uh, these are part of the uh, structural changes that urgently need to be remedied if we want to have a competitive agriculture that serves our farmers. Marami pang kakaharaping pagsubok ang sektor ng agrikultura and by extension, ang ating food security. Nabanggit din ni Pangulong Marcos sa pagkuha niya ng posisyong agriculture secretary ang modernization ng sektor para maiangat ang produksyon ng pagkain at mabawasan ang ating pag-i-import sa gitna ng matinding food crisis sa buong mundo. Kaya sa susunod na episode, pag-uusapan naman natin kung ano nga bang ibig sabihin at magiging itsura ng modern agriculture sector para sa Pilipinas. Muli, ako si Cherry Madriaga. At ako naman si JC Punong Bayan. You've been listening to the Usapang Econ Podcast, sponsored by Open Society Foundations and powered by Puma Podcast. I-follow ang Usapang Econ Podcast sa Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Sundan nyo rin kami sa aming blog sa usapangecon.com. I-like and i-follow nyo rin kami sa Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at LinkedIn. Maaari rin kayong mag-subscribe sa aming YouTube channel. Salamat sa audio editor ng episode na ito na si Joe Salcedo at sa producer namin na si Macy Hoven. Salamat din kay Dr. Rowell Briones sa Panayam. Kung nagustuhan ninyo ang episode na ito, please share it with a friend dahil ang economics ay para sa lahat. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.